This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. So, Franz, another week. Another week. How are you holding up this week? I am doing surprisingly well. Surprisingly well? Mm-hmm. I. Why are you surprised? I am, you know what? Last week, just through all of the commotion that was going on, you know, and constantly checking social media, I was feeling my energy was definitely, you know, hitting that valley. And then we did have that excellent conversation with Dr. Jess, Mm -hmm. which helped me reevaluate some things and to really check in for my mental health. So I have been, you know, staying away from social media, of course, doing my best to, you know, stay on top of the current events but between that and cooking myself some good old fried chicken this morning i'm feeling well (laughs) look you're just you're doing your black duty right now and i appreciate that juneteenth is around the corner and you know who who isn't whomst among us is not whipping up some fried chicken right now i mean Mm. you you've been you've kind of inspired me you've kind of inspired me how are you doing about the same you know it's interesting that you mentioned about social media because ever since all of these, this current wave of protests started, I've been, I've been feeling good in, in a weird way, because you feel good about something that's terrible, but I've been feeling good that I've seen so much, much more attention put on the violence committed against the trans community, specifically trans women of color, because for anybody who has been remotely following, um, what's actually been declared an epidemic it's really it's it's been actually declared an epidemic the violence against trans women of color in particular um if anyone's been following that you know that it you have to follow the right amount of people to get that sort of news but i've been seeing the recent deaths of people like nina pop and tony mcdade and you know dominique fells and you know raya milton i've been seeing these names pop up more and more. And I think that that's so important because so often when we talk about this push for equality, racial equality, we kind of forget about the trans community. And because I think most it's easy for people to kind of shove it into an LGBTQ plus issue. And it is, but it's also very much a race issue. And in putting together this three-part series that we're doing, I just felt it so important to include uh, an activist who is really doing her part in reminding people that, you know, a black life is a black life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had a chance to, you had a chance to sit in and I was talking to uh, Ian Field Stewart and this amazing dancer, actor, uh, activist and based in New York, who's really been putting in that work. And she's also the founder of the Okra Project, which is a collective that targets food insecurity within the Black trans community. And yeah, I read about that in the uh, article you shared with me. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's amazing. And so, you know, I think that it's just so important when we have these conversations to make sure that we're mindful of intersectionality and how the black trans community, specifically black trans women, they're at the most risk for violence. So not even just the violence, but like homelessness. Yes. You know, um, and people have never really made the effort to look out for that. And 
you know, even even a lot of the um, the help from allies hasn't been adequate. If we're being mm-hmm. honest, yeah. So yeah. I'm 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 really glad that you know this this conversation was had because it even helped educate me some. Mm-hmm. And she said it. She said, you know, because I asked her as as you listeners will soon hear. I asked her straight up, like, you know, what 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 needs to be done to make sure that, you know, these trans voices are, are, are heard. And she was like, I didn't invent transphobia, so I can't, I can't dismantle it. Mm. Um, that's the work of the people who are perpetuating it. And I think that that's fair, but I think it's, 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 it's such an illuminating conversation and she's such a, such a fierce activist. And I just really, I really hope it, I really hope this, this, this gets to, the people that need to hear it because black tri- trans lives matter. They do. And I think we can say that in the same breath. I mean, we would assume that when we say black lives matter, we mean all lives. But I do think that it is important to remind people that under that broad category of being black, there's a lot of intersections there and every single one matters. So, yeah. I definitely agree with you. I think, you know, 2020 is a year of alignment and nuance. Alignment and nuance. Look at you. Man. Okay. I dabble. You read a in book. Let's just get to the conversation. Just <laughs> cutting up right now. And, you know, it says on your website that... Ian Field Stewart is a black, queer, and trans feminine New York-based storyteller working at the intersection of theater and activism. And first of all, great definition. Love that. Thank you. Um, But (laughs) I'd love to unpack that a bit. So where does your story of art and activism begin? Well, I've been telling stories since the age of four when I started dancing. I've never known a life not on the stage. And I think, you know, for a blissful 18 to, you know, 19 years, I just had, you know, I was the Broadway bound girl and that was my dream and it was starry eyed and wonderful. And then, you know, about two years into being at a predominantly white institution, I suddenly started to find, oh, you have no idea what to do with me. And Mm so a lot of it started from there was the recognition that like, I knew that I was amazing and they did not seem to know that I was amazing. And as a triple Leo, I was deeply confused by that. <laughs> so, so, um, so I went back to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, ran into some, an activist, uh, Sarah Young, who you know, mobilized me for the first time. And I come from the school of thought that if you can do anything besides theater, do it because it's such a tough business. And so when I realized that there was something else I could do, I like had a panic attack and then basically realized that there was a way to do both. There was a way to tell stories that made a difference. And um, that was the sort of the genesis of Ian Field Stewart. <laughs> love that. I love that. And so for those who don't know, I would love it if you could walk me through some of your work because you do a lot, you know, from you. dancing <laughs> to being a playwright, like you, you're out here. So I love <laughs> just tell us a bit about your work. Yeah, um, I like to sort of, uh, to break them down a little bit into some of the things, and all, to all the things I do, I like to describe it as uh, I have three platforms of my work. Uh, there's the platform that I stand on as an actress. I don't know, like TV audiences will recognize me from uh, <laughs> uh, the bold type mm-hmm. on a freeform pose on FX. And then coming up on Netflix, I'm going to be a recurring character in Dash and Lily, which is a fun holiday show. And um, 
and that is definitely the work that doesn't feel like work it's just something that i was meant to do and have to do like i said i'm a triple leo there's really not much choice i had but to be on the stage <laughs> um the second platform that i build is the platform i build for others to stand on and i see that as my work that i do sort of as um, I've worked as a teaching artist, working at, uh, you know, that, and that, that work has taken me to working in Brooklyn with Vibe Theater Experience, to also then going to work at Rikers Island, working with incarcerated women and wow. girls um, of trans experience and of cisgender experience, as well as, you know, a, a writer, as you said, which is probably the title that I have the most sort of fear about admitting, but I think that I've been doing it for quite a while now, so there's really not, there's really no getting away from it. <laughs> and then the third platform is uh, the work that I build amongst community. And that is the work that I do with the Oprah Project as the founder of the Oprah Project, as well as just general organizing work that I do yeah. um, on behalf of and with Black trans people. And I am so glad you brought up the Oprah Project because that's actually how I came across your work in, to begin with. And so I would love for you to just tell those who don't know exactly how the Oprah Project started and what exactly you're doing with it. Absolutely. The Oprah Project started on my couch. I was sitting on the couch in an organizing meeting and a trans masculine person was spending a lot of time talking over me. And I said, I don't have time for that. So I muted myself and I turned to my friend Nyla Sampson who had created the Black Trans Solidarity Fund, which is a reparations group dedicated to shifting funds from the mainstream into the hands of Black trans people. And I said, I have this idea, what do you think? She was on board. We then brought in Malik August who had created Zaddy's Kitchen, which is a private you know, trans run uh, chef service. And the idea was very simple, you know, a black trans chef to go into the home of a black trans person and cook a meal for them, a healthy, home-cooked and culturally specific meal. And, you know, I thought, we'll raise $500, we'll, you know, like for like two weeks, we'll just like feed a couple people during the holiday season. It'll make us feel good. It'll make them feel good. It'll be great. So we released on a Wednesday and by Friday we had raised $6,000. Mm. Um, so obviously the need and the desire for the kind of specific work that we were doing was so clear. And we said, okay, well, clearly we got to do this till the wheels fall off. And the wheels have only become reinforced. Because, and now, you know, Oprah Project has in a week raised over $500,000, which is incredible. Since announcing our um, Nina Pop and Tony McDade mental health recovery funds, which has been overwhelming and such a blessing. And I am so grateful that this work is now something that I can really focus on in, in earnest and we can continue the work and hopefully just grow and make our dreams even bigger from here. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up Nina Pop and Tony McDade because I was gonna ask, you know, there are so many different forms of activism. You know, you have people that are fundraisers, people that are organizers, people who build mm -hmm. the apps and tools to do those things. So in this specific moment that we're experiencing, I would love if you can tell me a bit about how you are how you are mobilizing, how you are activating in this specific climate right now, where now more than ever, people's attention is so focused on what's happening. Like I said, in a way that we haven't really seen before, you know, yeah. this isn't the first time, you know, <laughs> black people have been killed by the police, but this is the yeah. first time that it's got this global attention. So through the work that you're doing, I would love it to hear a little bit about how you're how you're leveraging your platform and your 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 skill set to help raise awareness to 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 spread the word and really yeah. hopefully have lasting change. Yeah, I mean a lot of it has been like 
I, like I said, I'm just so grateful to the community for continuing to believe in the Oprah Project. And I think that's been crucial as far as the work that we're doing is like that, you know, obviously we're not able to send chefs into the homes of Black trans people anymore. However, you know, when this first happened, we were creating grocery bags and sending them out via Ubers, you know, just putting them in the backseat of Ubers and sending them to people's houses. When we realized that, you know, Miss, Miss Rona was sticking around for a little bit longer than we had anticipated. He's persistent. Um, she is a persistent and righteous woman of Christ. I could like, she is just here to stay. She has a word and you're going to hear it. Listen. Um, and you're going to hear it. Um, and so, <laughs> so anyway, so Miss Rona made her, made herself known to the girls. And so we said, well, okay, clearly we have to shift focus. So we uh, leaned into the, uh, the international grocery fund, which we created as a means to send $40 to every black trans person that applied um, worldwide. Um, we created the COVID relief form and that was a way to send money. And, and then now kind of Nina Pop and uh, the Tony McDade mental health recovery funds. And, I think that the the thing that I have found is that, uh, you know, I live with an immunocompromised person, which helps me to remember, you know, kind of like, this is not just like over, right? Like, just because we're all gathering in the streets, it does not mean that Miss Rona has had her last say, you know, she's not done with us. She's got more to say, you know? And I think that that for me is a constant reminder of like, you know, of, of the necessity of learning how to organize in the moment and being specific with how we organize, right? Understanding that organizing can't look like it's always looked in the past, right? Um, I think there's been, a, there's been a lot of conversation that I've seen happening around folks who are, you know, dressing in suits and dresses when they go out to protest and that sort of being their own kind of statement. Mm. And I studied in Atlanta with some of the original student organizers of the Atlanta student movement, such as uh, Rosalind Pope. Know her if you don't. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that, that methodology of like dressing as a type of way came out of a, a very specific reaction to the times that we were in. And I don't know that we're still in those times. And so when, when that is your effort, when that is your form of activism, when that is how you're organizing, it, it doesn't necessarily hit the same way, right? Yeah. And so I think that for me, a lot of the, what I've been having to learn about organizing this is to react to the current moment and yeah. to um, be specific in how you react to it. And speaking of this current moment, you know, I think there's a hard truth to face that when we see these massive protests happen, they're usually sparked by the death of a cis man. And mm -hmm. while I do applaud how quickly and fiercely people can activate behind racial injustice, we don't really see that same energy for the Black, queer, and trans community. And so in your personal opinion, what do you think it'll take to have that level of exposure and coverage for the black queer and trans community when they are murdered, when they are, you know, their, their, their health and safety is compromised. Like, what do you think it'll take for us to have that push that we see behind yeah. someone like a George Floyd? The most honest answer that I can give you is that I did not create transphobia, therefore I cannot undo it. Boom. And so I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> it, is, it is the work of cisgender people to be, to be radicalized in their own gender exploration. It is, it is the work of cisgender people to undo what they have created. It is, it is their, their responsibility. What I can say, however, is that I think that for me, a sort of a disturbing trend that I've seen is that I've seen Nina Pop's name be left off of the list of like people who have been affected, murdered by state-sanctioned violence. And I've been 
I've been really invested in us really re-examining what we define as state-sanctioned violence. Because for me, state-sanctioned violence is any kind of, any form of violence that is permitted by the state, which it, which means that, you know, Ayanna Dior, who was beaten up by a large group of men and whose video was circulated, yet nothing was done, you know, to address these assailants. Not that I want to mobilize the police against anybody. I don't think that the police should exist in the first place. However, you know, recognizing that state-sanctioned violence is, is, is much larger than we want to admit. Nina Pop is a victim of state-sanctioned violence because her death occurred and 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 no one and, and there is little to no one doing any work to find out who did this to her mm-hmm. and to bring justice to those people and and also yet again I, I want to reiterate that bringing justice to someone is not necessarily by weaponizing the state against them mm-hmm. but bringing justice to someone can be, can you know be through the lens of community based accountability um, you know. Uh, public accountability. What, what does what does it look like for us to like you know find new alternatives to like you know mobilizing the state against black bodies? And yet within that, you know, the state has also signed off on it. The fact that Leilene Polanco, an Afro Latina uh, trans woman, ha- was you know had an epileptic seizure in in solitary confinement. That is a result of the state, and that is state sanctioned violence because a six, after six months of an investigation, they announced that nothing will be done. Nothing will be done. No one needs to be held accountable for a body. And I think that that is like the thing. The thing about this revolution, the thing about the revolution as a whole, is that the radical thing that we're asking for is for common sense. If someone it ends up common in a, sense a place, is not common. Hello, child. <laughs> talk about it. Listen. Talk about it. Your grandma tried to tell y'all. None of y'all wanted to hear it. But common sense is not common. No. How is it? How if, if a person ends up? in a place and does not survive that experience while they are under your care and their rights are taken away from them and their ability, like, wh- how is there not a need for there to be names attached to that accountability, right? And the reality is that we are asking the very system that murdered these people to hold itself accountable and it will not do that. Right. And so I think that for me, um, I cannot answer how to end transphobia because I did not make it. But I absolutely can tell you that like the definition of what we consider state-sanctioned violence and who um, is the recipient of that needs to be much greater and much larger than we are ready to admit. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Curious to know, I mean, how does all of this inform your art as you as you continue to as this current wave that we're in right now and there's so many different facets that are i think coming up in this in this overall conversation and i love how a lot of people from what i've seen on my uh social media feeds a lot of people are continuously reminding them like hey what about tony hey what about you know even 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 cis black women kind of get erased a little bit. I mean, Breonna Taylor, we're still a little bit. Let's talk about Breonna Taylor. I mean, come on a little bit. (laughs) That's the thing. It's like, it's, 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 it's so maddening. And so when you think about, of course, these are issues that we've, that we've dealt with before and continuously deal with as, as a black community. But in this moment right now, how is all of this, these maybe new trains of thought that are coming up or new, 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 new ideas that you may have, how is this informing your art? 
Like when you think about, because yeah. I do think that it's so important, the work that people like you do in terms of translating those experiences into art, because I'm such a, I'm a huge advocate for art. And I think that it has so much to teach us in ways that we can absorb it, not in a better way than say in a classroom, which is very important. I do think that, you know, education and, and teaching the right history, the parts of history is very, very important. But I do think that art is a huge component in Absolutely. building empathy, building, you know, learning tools. So for you in this current moment, how is everything that's been going on informing your art? Um, what's interesting right now is that I feel like my art is what is healing me in private. Mm. My art has now, because my art can't happen in public, my art is like a much more private experience. I mean, my art now is being on the phone or being on FaceTime with, you know, a, a person in my life who's special to me and like just singing at them and they just listen mm. you know it's a much more private and intimate um experience and i think that something else that is happening for me is the recognition that you know um i i i used to be the kind of person where it's like if i went three months without acting like i would just start start shaking and just be like there has to be a project where's the project where's the project you know and i think that what's happening for me now is the recognition that like you know i mean i'm 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 becoming more and more well-known in the theatrical community for having a very big mouth um, and using that mouth quite a bit. Um, the theater you know, community doesn't have a big mouth though. Like, I mean, I mean, theater kids, what? Like, well, but that's, but that's the thing is that I think that many theater kids do have, I think that many actors in particular, um, when we go through these theatrical institutions, because we're kind of taught you are disposable, right? You are like, you know, there's always someone else waiting for you. There's so many people I feel like who, have achieved a level of access and success and then fear their own voices mm. because that's kind of how we as actors are taught. And what, um, what I constantly am moving through and reminding myself of is that, and what I've built my, my entire kind of like vantage point on is like, oh, you thought that I wasn't gonna say anything? Oh, that's cute. Oh, I see. So you you thought that you were just gonna get some pretty little hot like high yellow girl to come in and like and she would just smile for you. Oh no, that's not going to happen. You said high yellow. I mean, listen, I'm from the deep south. I've, I've been called it my whole life. I might as well claim it. You know, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying. Like I, I I I recognize that like you know there's so many things about me visually that make me that like uh, give me access to places that I will never even be aware of because of colorism, because mm. of beauty privilege, because of like so many different reasons, right? Yeah. And so my understanding of what my role is once I enter the space. While I can absolutely draw boundaries and say, I'm not going to be your EDI trainer when you hired me to be an actress. What I absolutely can say is that I will not, I will never sign on to a project to be black dancer number four who fouettes and smiles for white people. I will never be that. And I don't need to be that. Yeah. And so that's what my activism has taught me. And that's what my activism has brought to my art is the independence and, is the, and the, the reclamation of my being and my spirit and my soul. Right. Um, and I think that I want to give that back to a lot more Black actors in particular in the theater who are afraid to name things as they are. Yes. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I, one thing that, is, that excites me is seeing how, like I said before, I mean, this, is, this isn't just something that, you know, is a bunch of Black people shouting for justice. This is like so many people have been on board with this particular movement that 
I know there's a lot of people who are in positions where they don't, where they're doing sort of the basic things they're donating, they're, you know, going out into the streets and that that's amazing. That that's amazing. And I want people to continue to do that. But for someone like you with your history in, you know, performance and art and active, like, I mean, you, you had to die in like what a couple of years ago, like you've really <laughs> been in these streets doing these things. So for people who are feeling like they, they want to do something, they want to do something more, I guess, like what, what, what is your advice? Like, what would you suggest that people do? And feel free to even tailor it specifically to focusing on, you know, black trans awareness. So I feel like just right now when there's all this energy and all this passion, what are some, what's some advice that you would give to someone who may have, who may have never organized something or they've never new to this space? What would you say to that person to, to really funnel and channel that passion into something really productive? Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, I think, I think that there are the, the best thing that I can tell anyone um, because I would never, you know, purpose myself as like, you know, uh, an expert in how to do, in how to do things. I haven't read all the books, you know, I, I, I you know, there are still parts of Sister Outsider I haven't read. Please don't like punch me. You know, it's like, they're like, they're just <laughs> so like, do I you mean, want to yeah. send you my copy with like highlights? I, mean, no, no, I have it. I have read most of it, but there are parts that I haven't read. You know? See, see how the girls do me. Even <laughs> tell you, don't come for me. You come for me. Oh. But you, know, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, um, I am, but, but I have much to learn and I have much to grow in. Mm -hmm. But I think that the one thing that I can definitively offer for anyone who wants to do any kind of organizing work um, is specificity. I think mm -hmm. that we are often taught, you know, we need to like POC our way through issues or we need to, you know, like, oh, well, let's talk about the other side of things. And I think that the reality is, and the reality that the, with why the Okra Project has been so successful is that our vision and our mission of who we serve and why we serve them is incredibly specific, you know? And it keeps things simple. If you're black and trans, welcome. Yeah. If you are not, here's the ways that you can support us mm -hmm. and support our work. But, and, and, and also the thing is, is that we are completely transparent about our process and our procedures. We have, I mean, and we have received death threats for the fact that we're so specific. We have received like, and, and I wish that I could say that's not true, but like we're called reverse racists. We're called like all kinds of things for being specific about who we serve instead of saying, no, 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 we didn't say POC, we said black. And, the, and, but the reality is, is that, you know, what we continuously say to folks is if you want to do your own Oka project, do it. This model is not copyrighted. It's like, it's very simple. You have one person that raises the money, one person who schedules and one person who cooks. And that's where you start, you know? If you wanna do, you know, your own version of that, please do it. Mm. And it would be even better if it, it focused on black trans people. But if it doesn't, and it focuses on your community, then address the specific needs in your community because I cannot be Captain Spavaho for everybody. That's not, that's, that can't be my work. Yeah, that's never yeah. what I signed up for, and I believe and advocate for the work of many other people that do not look, love, or live like me. Mm -hmm. But I cannot, you know. But I cannot, you know. I know what my calling is. I know what my strengths are. I play to my strengths, and so I'm going to do be the best at what I can do the best. Mm -hmm. You know. So I think that, that is the, the that's the greatest lesson that I can give anyone who wishes to do organizing work is to be specific in your word and action. If you say something, back it up every time. 
make things transparent. Don't, don't like, you know, our fun art, like where our money goes and how it goes there, always available. We have posted this on, in public locations. If anyone ever wants to know where the money in Oka Project goes and how it goes there, we, we make all of that available. There, there is no need to have all of these walls and barriers up that like the nonprofit industrial complex has taught us or the corporate world has taught us. We don't need all these barriers and walls and hurdles. You need a simple idea, keep it specific and do it. I love it. Do it as best you can. Oh, I love it. That's perfect. Well, Ian, that's a, that's all I had for you. This is amazing. I really appreciate it. Like this is, yeah. I like I said, I, I I first came across your work with the Okra Project, and I just thought it was just so, like you said, so simple and so specific. And I think that it's that's really it. You know, like people know exactly what they're what they're getting when they come to something like this, and it has a direct effect like and i that's i love that i love it so i mean and that and that is truly like a lot of what we have wanted to do is like mm -hmm. like any okra project is not its own little bank like all the money that we raise belongs to the people so if people like the the thing that we see money as is that it is the thing that takes away the middleman and just says between your need and your receiving that need yeah. do you need do you need money to get out of jail here's the money to do it do you need to eat here's food do you need community? Here's a person to cook that food with, like to cook for you and for you to meet. Do you want to be amongst a bunch of black trans people? Here's a beauty and wellness affinity space that we created for all of us to be together. Mm -hmm. If you, are, you, are you suffering like, because racism is still racism -ing. Well, great, here's, here's a free mental health therapist to like work with who looks, loves and lives like you and can help, and can help you work through the fact that racism is still racism -ing. Don't let, don't tell that to the white people. Just kidding. But yeah. they're not ready. They hate. They, they're not ready. They're not ready to hear that. Just kidding, white people. But not all really. All their voices. All their voices. They can't handle big talk. Big talk scares the white people. I can't. All right, I'm gonna say goodbye to you before I lose my show. Thank you so. Much. <laughs> Thank you so I really much. Your time. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Next week, we're closing out our special three-part series in response to the global protest with a former Google employee who turned her personal family trauma with excessive police force into action. If you like what you've been hearing so far on Creative Conversation, make sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. See you next week.